0: Video that we stole from another church <laughs> <laughs> that uh, introduces this sermon series for us. We've been doing this, the book study of the book of Joshua. It's been an awesome study. If you're just joining us, uh, we'd encourage you to read Joshua with us. Uh, I, ha- I got a lot of people that texted me this morning before service and said they were excited about Joshua, especially this week. I saw people, several people that told me that. Uh, it's super cool that you guys are, are reading along. Um, we always say this in Family Bible, but we don't believe that there's like this kind of hierarchy of... of um, you know, wisdom. Uh, uh, It's God's wisdom and then all of us. And if we ask him to grant us that wisdom, he will. So we ask that you be praying with us as we preach, as we teach, as we lead here, not just myself, but the other leaders of this church. And then we ask that, that, uh, we encourage you to do the same as you study the word yourself. Invite God in to give you wisdom, and he will answer prayers like that. This week, we're going to talk about an awesome uh, topic. Uh, It's integrity. Integrity. And um, integrity is a really interesting thing because it's something that we don't often appreciate when it's happening. But when we see it not happening, we get, we get really upset about it, right? Uh, I, I think about many times we love to put people on a pedestal, and then we love to tear them off the pedestal. It's like this kind of, I don't know what it is, this kind of way that humans just, you know, work, Uh, We love to uh, honor people, and and then we love to tear them down and say, well, you're not really who you say you are. And that's tragic, honestly, when that happens. I was doing some digging around on the idea of integrity this week and just kind of set up the the conversation. I was surprised there's actually a center for public integrity in this country. Now, there's everything anymore, and you can't trust anything that anybody starts by the name anymore. You got to read the fine print uh, because there's a lot of bait and switch happening, you know, Uh, a lot of trickery. Going on, but the Center for Public Integrity is really about looking at records, and if they're be taken at their word, they look and they see who's done good things and who's done bad things. They look for people who say one thing with their mouths and do something else with their life, right? In the public se- sector, uh, particularly, and I was surprised to read that this this week they produced this report, and I want to share it with you. It's kind of an interesting uh, concept, but it, it, the, the, it's a report called "All the Presidents' Debt." All the president's debt. You know we have a debt problem in our country, right? I mean, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? And it doesn't take a a great mind to figure out that you, you can't continue to live on more than you make and survive, it's never worked that way. Um, but this was interesting because this, is, this, um, this study that they did was called All the President's Debt, and what they did is they went down and they started looking at the idea that presidential campaigns, you know, they're very expensive these days, right? And these guys run these campaigns, but they don't always come out in the black. As a matter of fact, they almost never come out in the black, okay? And, and I'm going to read to you. It's interesting because if you hear the list, it's really wild. They went back and they began to look and see who owed the people money. By the way... This isn't them owing us money. I can tell you how many times lately I've been aggravated by the idea that the taxpayers pay the bill. You know, But the real striking thing about this report they did is that these are debts that are owed to private companies. Okay, so say that you own a private company and you are contracted to do some work for a candidate and they say, we will pay you for that work. And then when you send the bill, they just don't pay you yet. Now, I go to collections when that happens. Like, very quickly, if, you're, if you get, you know, there's not a lot of mercy. But somehow, for our presidential candidates, they just have these ongoing debts that they never quite get paid off. So they went through the list. This is interesting. Check it out. So I'm going to read through. Bear with me for a moment. But here it is, the top of the list, just happenstance. And, you know, we just had election cycle, so let's keep that in mind. But Newt Gingrich, the former House speaker, currently has the most debt owed to private companies. He owes $4.5 million from his campaign. $4.5 million, right? Now, I did read like $687,000 is owed to him. <laughs> like he loaned his own campaign money. Um, and other people, by the way, have loaned, it's called unsecured debt, they loan campaigns money. He has the most. Check it out. Lyndon LaRouche, I don't know if I'm saying it right, he's a Democrat, he owes $3.2 million. Million dollars, $3.2 3200000 Now, the interesting thing about, about this dude, Lyndon, and I have the whole story here, but I'm not going to read I'm just going to kind of summarize You can check it off if you want. But his debts are from 1984. 1984. Who was born in 1984? I was. A few of you. Yeah, good. Some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand to that. because 84, that, that's pretty loose, man. This guy owes money from 84 2000 and 2004. Now, the really crazy thing was, I think in like 96, he went to jail for fraud. He went to jail for fraud. Came out and ran for president again. And people gave him money. Okay. He apparently has a passionate group of followers. I don't know, but it's just what is right? He owes money, let's just say that. Um, president Barack Obama, Democrat, as you all know, 3.1 million he owes. Most expensive campaign in history. Made the most money in history. Still has $3.1 million in debt being paid off. In fairness, 2012. Rudolph Giuliani, Rudolph, Giuliani, oh, come on, Billy, <laughs> former New York Mayor Rudolph Giuliani, one point seven million dollars from two thousand and eight. Right, that debt is like what five years old now. The he's Republican, by the way. Reverend Al Sharpton, Democrat. I'm just trying to be fair here because somebody's going to get mad at me after the service. I know it. Nine hundred twenty-five thousand dollars the Reverend owes since two thousand and four. Um, Dennis uh, Koenig, I don't know who this guy even is, Democrat from Ohio, $550,000 from 2004 and 08. You know, he's going to keep coming at it. Herman Cain, you probably know Herman Cain, Republican, $450,000 from 2012. The Senator John Edwards owes $331,000 from 2004. Alan Keyes owes $301. And I love this uh, Bob Barr, who's a Libertarian candidate. He's at $158,000, so they've got some third-party candidates that also owe money. Michelle Bachman, uh, Gary Bauer, and then here's the last one on their, their list of over $100,000 owed. That's how they figured this out. President Bill Clinton. Do you remember him? He owes money from 1996. He hasn't paid it back yet. Uh, $100,000 owed. I'm pretty sure that he could get that in like half of a speaking engagement fee, Right? I can go give a talk like this, and he can pay that off. Uh, but he's arguing that he doesn't owe the money. <laughs> Apparently, that's a good use of his time. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, and, and so that's interesting. Now, here's what I wanted to... I read that to you guys. Oh, why you got to bring that up? Listen to this. This is what's really wild. The report says this. This is a reminder, the fact they owe money, that despite the candidate's soaring rhetoric about fiscal responsibility, you hear that on the campaign trail, Right? Can't live a more than you make, can't do all these things. Despite their roaring rhetoric, they often fail to follow their own prescriptions for sound budgetary management amid the relentless rush to remain competitive with political rivals during the election season. Did you hear it? What it is is these guys stand up there, and they say what they mean. They have full conviction about what they mean. They say, we should not be living on more than we make. We all... But in the heat of battle, in the heat of the moment, they make this decision to spend more than they're getting with the hope that they can pay it off eventually. And some of it just hangs around and hangs around, right? And, and uh, if, you, if you're feeling particularly uh, righteous, and we think about ourselves, and we think, how are we doing that in our own lives? How are we not being... Having integrity in our own lives. Well, today we're going to study from the book of Joshua. We're going to do what we always do. We're going to invite the Lord to teach us, and we're going to be looking at the Joshua chapter nine today. Uh, But we're going to hear how how seriously God takes integrity. Like He's super serious about integrity. So I'm going to ask that we always do this. Pray with me as we enter into the word that he would reveal himself to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Please join me. Father God, today we come here not seeking man's wisdom and not seeking the ways of the world because, Lord, we can get that all day long out there. Tons of people telling us what to do. Today we want to come and sit at your feet. We pray you would clear our minds and clear our hearts. You prepare us, soften us, that you would sow good seed into our souls that it might manifest, you know, Oaks of righteousness for your glory, that trees of truth would grow, that would bear good fruit. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, your wisdom would visit us today, that your Holy Spirit be present, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth you would teach us. And, and most importantly, Father, in this prayer is that we can't even, we can hear this truth, but we can't live it out without your help. And so we ask you to help us apply this to our lives, that we might be truly transformed followers of yours. And we'll give you praise and glory now and forever because you alone are worthy. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, praise God. Well, go ahead and turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 9. If you're borrowing one of our books, it's on 154. And I'm going to jump right in. We're just going to kind of roll through this chapter of Joshua. Um, You remember, we left off, they were worshiping. You remember that, right? They renewed the covenant. Here it goes, 9-1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, what things? They heard about all the stuff that had happened in Joshua and the Israelites, all the deliverance, all God's favor, all God's mercy, right? All the things that happened in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Great Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Now, this is kind of a setup here, so I'm going to take just a minute. There's like a little bonus thing. But here's a truth that I want you to understand about following Jesus. And I tell you this, if, you, if you're making a commitment to follow Christ for the first time, or if you're deciding you're going, to, you're going to surrender your life to him and really be obedient, you know, you're going to really take God seriously, th- there's this realization that when the enemies of God see this in your life, they begin to unify against that purpose. You know, many times we believe as followers of Christ that if things are going easy, then that means that everything's great. But the truth is that when God begins to work in our hearts and our lives in powerful ways, his enemies take notice of his presence. And they begin to align themselves. And you can almost sense it, and maybe you don't like this, but I sense it even in myself. You begin to almost sense that this, this, it begins to be the solidifying force against God. That's why we always pray that God would have his way in our life that we could be found as faithful followers of his. Not of ourselves, but as a gift of faith from him. Because this, this spiritual battle cannot be won by our effort. But the reality is that these enemies, and so if you begin some new chapter of your life following Christ, if you begin, all of, they'll see these things align against you I'm not trying to make you paranoid, but it's true. Enemies. Look what it says. It says, when they heard what God had done, they all began to conspire to fight against Joshua and the Israelites. They believe this truth. If we get enough resources, we can still win against God. That's what they believe. And so they unite themselves. And I wanted you to, I wanted to, first of all, kind of leave that there as a setup for what happens next. But don't miss that. They came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Real quick, the, the idea of coming together, like a, a, a gathering, a gathering everyone together in a, in a room, and then being united in purpose. And when it says they began to make war, it says, it says they began to want to eat them as one mouth, consume the people of God. I, I couldn't help when I heard that to notice this idea of what Christ did at the last supper when he broke bread, right? And he says, take and eat all of you. The bread of true life. And here's this antithesis to this communion meal where the world wants to consume the people of God, to eat them alive. And I think we're talking about debt being, you know, evil. Debt being evil. It's a consumption of God's people. It eats you alive. Or people who would set against the things of God in your life, they would eat you alive were it not for Christ. And so we have to always remember that there's, this, there's enemies of God who would rather uh, he not succeed. Verse three, here we go. However, and however is a big deal because it means something else now happens. However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, you remember Jericho and I both fell, I after they had to repent of their sin, they resor- resorted to a ruse. They used trickery, is what the word says. They sent a delegate whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They, the men put on worn and patched sandals on their feet and worn old clothes, and the bread that their food supply was dry and moldy. Verse 6. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Right, So these guys, who are also enemies of God, notice, right? they go, let's do something else. Let's pretend we're someone we're not. Let's pretend we're someone we're not. And and that's the first truth that we're going to kind of dig out of here, is that the truth is that in your life, someone will deceive you. Someone will deceive you. I'm reminded that when Jesus taught his own disciples, he said this, be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. You know, sometimes as believers, people will play on this idea that we're supposed to always believe everything everyone says. Have you ever had that call from somebody? They're just giving you, like, the line. They've rehearsed it a thousand times. And and they start to push those Christian buttons with you. And, and, And a lot of times we'll just jump into that stuff, right? I mentioned politicians earlier. Politicians love to get people riled up because it gets attention focused on them. The problem is, for many of us, it goes off of God and onto whoever our favorite candidates are. We misapply our worship and attention, right? Nothing wrong with that. Praise God, we're born in this country. But it's a distraction from our King many times. So, and, and, and this becomes a, a culture of cynicism because you know someone's going to deceive you so you're always looking, out if you're like that like you watch the infomercial at night, you're like that can't work like that or you hear the salesman at your door and you're like yeah right lifetime warranty I bet, you know what I mean like there's always somebody you're thinking you're going to trick me you're going to deceive me and I tell you the truth is and this is heartbreaking for me but people who are coming to try to find a real relationship with God don't come to the church they don't come here because they say they're just trying to trick me they're just trying to fool me. The, tru- the truth is that God is after each of us, and he's not deceiving anyone. He speaks truth. So here, though, you face this reality that someone will deceive you, and these guys come, and listen to that great story, man. They, they're like actors, you know. They're pretending, and they dress up, and they put on this garb, and they show up, and they say, we are about to poor people. We come from far away, Right? Check out what happens next. Verse 7, read with me. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? You see, they kind of get what's happening. The context, man, God's been giving us favor against our enemies, and all of a sudden, these guys show up and say, please, please have mercy? I don't know. That sounds kind of fishy to us. Check it out. This is what they say. I love this little line, by the way, in verse 8. We are your servants. Keep that in mind, they say. We are your servants. Praise God. They said to Joshua, but Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? Now here it comes, man. Check it out. Verse nine. They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. I have a question. Is that true? No. Did you hear the story? They saw. They were right there with those other people who were like, we're going to fight harder. We're going to unify against them. And they're like, hey, let's do something else. Let's try to trick them. You know? They're crafty. They're checking out their options. And check it out, verse 9, they lie. They come and they out and out lie. Your servants have come from a very distant land. I'll remind you that Jesus, when he was talking about Satan himself, he says when the devil lies, he speaks his native tongue. The devil can have... nothing but lie. It's just lies, lies, lies. And the trouble for the believers, it, it, the trouble for believers, we often believe the lies and not the truth of God. The lies of the enemy. But here they go. Your servants have come from a distant country. Lie, right? Check it out. For we have heard reports of him. All that he did in Egypt, listen to this, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, remember victory, victory, uh, Sion, king of Hezbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who re- reigned in Ashroth, right? 11, read with me. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey we, and go and meet and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. Next question, is that a lie? No. Think about that a minute. First words, lie. Second word, truth. They did, they did see what God did. They did hear of the Lord's fame and favor, right? And, and, and they, did, they were sent to ask, make a treaty with us. Our leader sent us, true, true. Many times, and this is, right? Many times when we're deceived, there's little truth mixed in with a whole bunch of lie. Or, or there's, you know what, we talked about this before, aletheia in Greek, it means lack of lies, that's the definition of truth, no lies at all, and it says God does not lie a bit, none of it that God says is a lie, not the least little bit, but everything else has deceit in it, and here they mix in some truth with the lie, that's the truth, and you have to say that, I don't know, right, if you don't agree with me, tell me after service. <clears throat> Verse 12, though, here we go again. The bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. Is that truth or a lie? Lie, right? They picked the dry, moldy bread. I don't know where they got it from, but they picked it. They brought it for a a prop to trick them. But now, see, look how dry and moldy it is, they say. And these wineskins that were filled new lie. See how cracked they are now. That's true. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Lie. You see what happens there? It's just back and forth. Some truth, some lie. Some truth, some lie. And then the people of God are deceived. Check it out in verse 14. The men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. You know, this is probably the, part of this text is most hammered on, right? Um, and, And I do want to walk through that, that the truth is that, you know, the Israelites were deceived, then we will be deceived. But you see here, what happens is it says that they sampled the provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. This is a consistent sin that the people of God make. They don't ask God, right? They don't ask God. And so in this way, they're deceived, And uh, I want to say two things about this. First of all, do you understand that when when you claim Christ as your Savior, that you are claiming the All Powerful God of the Universe, the God of all truth? Do you understand? I saw this shirt at Agape this weekend. I said, "Make Jesus famous." I I understand that, and I want to make Jesus famous. But Jesus is famous. Let's not be deceived. He is the famous God. He's the only God that's real. He's the only one that offers reconciliation of sinners to God himself. He's the only one true God. He is famous. And too many times we act like, let's just get real. We act like we're doing a favor. I don't know if I can trust you, Jesus, but I'm going to give you some credit. <laughs> right. Come on. He's God. He's like, oh, good. I finally got Bill on my team. Now I can get some work done. Nope. No. He's God. Who do we think we are? Give him some credit. We heard the fame of your God. When people come to us, they know who Jesus is. They've heard of Jesus. They're looking to see if you are following him genuinely. Check it out. The second thing, though, is this. They don't inquire of the Lord. It says right there, and you and I have been given this gift in Christ of the Holy Spirit this discernment gift. And i got to tell you, it's probably one of the least exercised gifts I see in the body. Leadership team talks about it all the time. We have a decision to make. Let's pray about it. Let's ask for God's leading. We, we uh, rebuke each other. If we feel like we're getting ahead in, in the worldly kind of methodology. If, if we're rushing ahead, it seems like a great plan. It's like, slow down. What's the rush? God is still God of time. Right? The idea that you can inquire of the Lord, and right now, wherever you're sitting, I bet you have five or ten things that you're struggling with. Lord, what should I do? What's next for my life? Where should I be going? Who should I be following? Where should I be at? Or whatever your questions are, who should I marry? How should I parent my kids? Whatever it is, have you asked God? Do you even invite him into the conversation? (laughs) Because he has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit, it says, that it knows him intimately, that knows the depths of who God is and what he desires. A couple of um, verses I want to share with you. This speaks speak this in the New Testament. The book of James, the women just finished to study of this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, not finding fault, but giving it to him. Right? If any person lacks wisdom, ask God for wisdom, inquire of the Lord. Why would we not do that? He gives generously to all who ask. And that's why I say when you study the word, ask for wisdom. When you pray to God, ask for wisdom. When you're stuck in traffic, ask for wisdom, right? Wherever you're at in life. The second is this. Paul writes and says, we live by faith and not by sight. And Paul says this in the middle of this verse about the new bodies. He talks about heaven being better. I I love one of the verses uh, verses around this because it says, we can't wait for true life to consume this false reality that we're in right now of the flesh. We go, well, this is true life. God says, no, 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 no. There's true life. And Paul says our desire is that it would consume, that God's life would consume this false life. We could live in the spirit of truth, walking by faith and not by sight. So they hear, don't inquire of the Lord, right? And and so they get deceived. My question for this section right here is, is this way, and I tell you, this is a big one for me, but how do you feel when you're being lied to? I don't know how it works for you, but man, this is, you know, we always say cardinals. This is a cardinal sin in our home, right? We just had a parenting class with boundaries. And it is, they said, you should have different sets of instructions for your kids. If you tell me the truth, here's what you face. And if you lie to me and I find out, here's what you face. And it shouldn't be the same thing. Because we should honor honesty. We should reward honest conversation. We should welcome truth as believers in Christ. And I don't know, like for you, but man, when I am lied to, oh, it just, it's just in my being, I just get aggravated, I get mad. I hate being lied to. Do anybody hate being lied to? Yeah? How many of you would rather people be honest all the time? Yeah? We kind of made that, there was that movie they made about that, kind of like a joke, about if you always had to tell the truth, you know? Uh, but boy, it would, it would be good, wouldn't it? I got, I got brothers and sisters that come to me and they say, I'm going to tell you the truth, and I just go, praise God. I brace myself, (laughs) grab something. Okay, (laughs) hit me. Praise God. Truth comes, it washes over us like the spirit, like the grace of God. Just be honest. Tell me the truth. Many of us, most of us, maybe even all of us, really, really hate being lied to. I told you that's why many people don't come and worship Jesus. It's because they feel like they're going to be lied to when they show up. Picking up now. So they make the treaty. They're deceived, right? And they were deceived. Second thing, next thing that we talk about here is this. Three days after they made the treaty the, with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were, check it out, neighbors, living very close to them. So the Israelites set out on the third day and came to their cities. Gibeon, Kiritha, or something like that, uh, Beeroth, and uh, some other, Kirith, Jeriam, You know, God named it. I can't pronounce it. That's in the Bible. 18. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by Yahweh, the God of Israel. Okay? The Israelites had given their word. They said, we will not attack you. Even though you lied to us, we made a promise. Israelites, check it out. The whole assembly, picking up in 18, grumbled, against the leaders. The whole assembly, you remember last week said there was like 2.5 million people were complaining about this decision. Well, well that's not fair. They, they lied on the application. We, we have full rights. And here's a point where the Israelites can choose something. Integrity or not. What are they going to do? Look at what the word says. Just the very beginning of nineteen, but all the leaders answered, "We have given them our oath by Yahweh, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now." The 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 leaders of Israel, for all their faults, in this moment say, "You know what, though? We made a promise. We made a commitment." The chorus around them began to immediately sing, "You don't have to honor that commitment." You were tricked. You don't have to do the right thing. It's going to be just, you know, God will understand. He hates liars, right? How many of us do that in our life? Oh, it's slippery. One time, I worked for a boss who said some guys would come back from jobs and they'd say, "Ha, ah, we overbuild the client. He, he we, we double billed him. Got more money for the company." This guy, you know what he'd say? Don't steal from my clients. Because if you steal from my clients, you'll steal from me. What? Integrity matters. Integrity matters. And the truth is that great leaders know it. And and, uh, most importantly, our great leader demands it. Integrity. And it's hard. It's hard to do that. The, the, we had a prayer service this week on uh, National Day of Prayer Thursday, and one of the pastors, I was so blessed, he said, "Why is the road that leads to unfair practice in business. You know, the word says that God hates unfair practices. He hates uneven scales. He just can't stand it. He loves justice. He loves truth. And many of us, boy, we just get in there. And I just want just, to say, we just cheat it. Mm, you know? Our people around us, People who are closest to us, our boss, just fudge the numbers, make it work. Our spouse, you know, just, we don't have to do the right thing here, do we? We have to report that? We have to talk about this? Um, Telling the truth will be unpopular. And I don't know if many of us are very good at it. Uh, And I I believe by the grace of God and the presence of his Holy Spirit, we we become truth-tellers in our life. It's hard. We're raised in a land of deceit, deception, pretending, uh, putting on clothes that don't cover us, and God calls us uh, to wear wear clothes that that matter. Um, So I want you to know that, that that whenever you face uh, uh, things, uh, you'll be challenged for integrity, every one of you, no matter what it is in your life. There'll be opportunities, and I do too, man. And I'm not up here saying, like, I got it right. Like, I cut corners. I cheat, man. And, and I hate it. I hate that. Because I, I just, and the God's spirit of me demands says, no, you don't, it's not how we are anymore. We aren't that person anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. So my question for this section here is, uh, what do you do when others challenge your convictions? I mean, really, like how do you respond to someone who challenges something that you really feel that God is leading you to do? This goes from, the business is easy stuff, but we do it there, right? And we, and we make up things, well, they can afford it, you know what I mean? I'm not really cheating the fill in the blank because they're so big that they can't tell, right? But it also goes into our, our, the most intimate place of our life, into our marriage, right? Into our families. We begin to shortchange each other. No one's gonna notice if I cut the corner on this. Yeah, I know the Lord's telling me to say this to my husband or my wife, but it's just gonna be easy not to say it. I know I should set aside this time for my kids, but yeah. The kids are resilient, right? They'll understand, and in the subtleness of the lies our life begins to unravel that's the tragedy of it you have to have a decision in your spirit you have to know ahead of time that you're following the God of truth and holiness and you're going to make a commitment to that at all costs whatever it costs Lord we will stand by what you teach us all the Israelite Leaders answered, We have given them our oath by Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. And we cannot, listen to the words, we cannot touch them now. It's not an option. It's not on the table. We're not going to cheat. The last thing here, check it out. The whole assembly grumbled against them. Leaders answered, verse 20, This is what we will do to them. The Israelites decide. We will let them live so that... The wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. you hear the thing? That the wrath will not fall on us for the oath that we swore to them. They knew God is a God of justice. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the entire community. So our leader's promise to the people was kept, Right? Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said to them, why do you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you when actually you live very near to us? He calls them out. 23, you are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of God. I just want to stop. Do you remember when they first showed up What they said in this sheepish moment, like they're tricking them, and they're like, well, we're your servants. And see what happens? They're your servants. It's true. They answered Joshua. Your servants were clearly told how Yahweh your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do with us whatever seems good and right to you. This kind of harkens back to Rahab for me. They saw the writing on the wall, they did some sketchy things, but the God of integrity kept his word with them, kept his word with them, and that, that's profound to me. Um, the truth is, in the end, we said this for many things in our life, but God will be honored. God will be honored when you keep your integrity. When you are faithful following him, faithfully following him, he will be honored in the end. And we want to met out justice right now. We want to be right now. It's got to look good on paper. It's got to make sense. But the truth is right now it has to look like obedience to God. And in the end, he brings justice and honor and glory to himself through our obedience. That's how that works. The Spirit of God teaching us and changing us and growing us. And yet, we, we know here that God even redeems the deception for his glory. How many times we said in Scripture? Right? N- men do evil things and God redeems it for a purpose. Don't miss that. It's a continual narrative of Scripture. God redeems everything for His glory. Um, that's, that's profound. I, I found um, later on in the, in the Bible that Gibeonites come up again. It's interesting, right? And I just want to share this with you real quick and then we're going to wrap up. But. Um, I want to go right here. But uh, check this out. This is You can write this down. Don't look it up right now. But it's in 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 2. And it, and it says um, that uh, God stopped answering the prayers of his people because of the lack of integrity. Right? And I'm going to turn there. Um, I'm going go the wrong way. I'm going to drive backwards here. There we go. Um, so 21... During the reign of King David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David, listen, sought the face of the Lord. And Yahweh the Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his bloodstained household. Here's the key. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. You see, Saul and his passion, his lust for power, he killed the Gibeonites. And it says, the king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. The Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites, the Israelites who had sworn to spare them. But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. David asked, What shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? And the Gibeonites say this We have no right to ask for anything from you. Uh, we, we have no right of our own to ask for anything. And, and, and they end up working out this kind of deal, which is kind of weird. It's like an Old Testament thing. You can check it out if you want to. But they make peace with Israel so that God will again be honored amongst them. He takes integrity that seriously, that generations later, that was King David, that generations later, when the people are mistreated, who he made a promise to, he says, I will not move on with you until you remedy the situation, right? Uh, that's a really big deal. Now look back, if you would. Joshua nine twenty six. is where we're gonna end today. So, key words here, right? Uh, Joshua saved them from the Israelites and did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at that place where the Lord would choose. And that is what they are uh, to this day. Now, the question I had on your sheet there for you is, who are you most trying to honor with your life? Like at the end of the day, when you put your head on the pillow, the question in our mind has to be, who are we trying to please? Right? And there's a whole bunch of people in line, please me, please me, please me. But there's one person that we will face that will give an account for the days we spend. Are we trying to please God? Are we trying to follow him? Are we trying to uh, obey him? Are we even talking to him? The key words here, look at what it says in 26. Joshua saved them. Three more words. Joshua did not kill them. Joshua saved them. Joshua did not kill them to this day. To this day. God kept his promises. The truth is that God himself demonstrates perfect integrity. Joshua is an archetype of Jesus Christ. Jesus saved us. Jesus did not kill us. Jesus saved us and did not kill us to this day. You see. You go, "Well, what what, what do you mean? Integrity? Jesus. What do we think the cross is about? Like really? What do we think it's about?" The cross is about truth, justice, and love. The cross is about a God who so loved the world that he sent his own son to open his hands and be killed by sinful men. Tragedy. Doesn't look like justice at all, but you remember, I told you earlier, God hates an unbalanced scale. Just like, um, just like, Saul and the Israelites, when that thing got out of whack, God wanted it to be right. Just like the Gibeonites, when they came and said, we're your servants, he's like, yeah, you are my servants, and they wanted to be right. And just like you and I would make simple choices in our life, sin is so heavy, just the scales are all out of whack, and God hates uneven scales. You know what he says? I'm going to give you something that's going to even the scales up. Your sin. For my son, justice and love. God believes it. He invented it, and He knows what we need. Now the truth is, we can choose uh, to refute God's justice, and we can look at his even scales and go, "My sins aren't that heavy," or, "My sins are too heavy, both are lies." Right, mixed with truth. The truth is his scales are perfectly balanced in Christ. We want to be the kind of people who follow with integrity. And we can only do that through God's help. God made peace with us, not through any deception. There's no trickery. There's no bait and switch with Jesus Christ. But he made peace with us through his perfect integrity on the cross. And that's the gift for you and me. And so a couple of things today I'm going to challenge you with is this. If you, if you don't understand your sin issue, I would, cons- I would just plea with you to look at your life and ask, are you the arbiter of justice? You know, do you define what good looks like? Because if, once you begin to understand your sin, you start to see these scales that you can't make right, and you can't do enough good stuff. And, and if you're like me and you've gone before the throne of Christ and you see the justice that actually, like we sang, outweighs, it's just ridiculous how blessed we are. We don't deserve it. I mean, thank God you do not give us what we deserve. But you've forgotten. <laughs> you know, in your life, you're cheating scales, you're tipping the scales. A little, just a little to our favor, Lord. Try to include him in our scam. We're going to hook you up when we get this figured out, God. Oh, man, let's repent of that. Let's stop acting like we have to add something to God's justice. Be people of integrity. Following the God of integrity. Pray with me, if you would. Father God, we come before you as um, broken and sinful people, and we don't want to artificially beat ourselves up but boy I tell you your word when you talk about truth and justice and love it just feels like we fall short all the time Father uh, for those of us uh, who know your mercy I pray we would be found as your people faithful obedient to your spirits leading and confident in your justice to come let, let, I pray that we let you work out details and we'd just be faithful in the moment I pray for marriages of integrity. I pray, Father God, for the people that are gathered here today, that are gathered here in your presence today, that if we were to split our lives open, it would look the same inside as out. And Father, I know that's not perfect, but maybe we would split open and we'd look more the same inside than out that your Holy Spirit would be plumbing the depths of our soul and finding those rotten spots, no matter how long we've been following you, those spots that need to be eradicated for your glory and your purpose in our life, and you would ferret them out and remove them by your grace, that we could be holistically yours, completely following you. And Lord, that is not work we can do, but we'll partner with you, we'll accept it, we'll receive it, we'll believe you for it. And Father, if there are those today here who are still completely oppressed in sin, they can't even find the door to truth, let alone make any strides as your followers, I pray that they would know the grace that you poured out on the cross. It's not a game. It's not a scam. It's the only solution to our sin problem, and we give you praise and glory for that. I pray you would invite our brothers and sisters into that relationship with you, that they would, for the first time, feel that sin burden fall off. We thank you that you removed it from us. And we pray that they would begin today as new creatures in Christ. You're beautiful, you're worthy, and we want to do this for your glory, and you're our only hope. And so that's why we come and we seek your face, your wisdom in this matter. Help us with that today, and we'll give you praise and glory now and forever as your people united in your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.